Assalamualaikum and welcome to another episode of the Dr. Will Show, where I interview educators and entrepreneurs on leveling up. Each episode, I zoom with someone who's dope, and we just talk about how you can live your best life. Now, if this is your first time checking out the podcast, this is the Mobile University of Entrepreneurs, and I am your host, Dr. Will. Today's guest is Losha Brookings, Brooks, oh my gosh, Losha Brooks. I don't know why I'm messing that up. So excited because we had a conversation prior to uh, recording and she is doing some awesome work. I listened to her on another podcast talking about her pathway into consulting. And I knew that I had to have her on the show to talk to share with you how she got to where she is, what she's doing and give you that breakdown of what it means to actually be a consultant and how do you go from, I want to do this to actually creating something. Cause I know a lot of us are thinking, well, how do I take that leap? And then some of us don't because you get on Twitter, you get on Facebook and you see certain people who are uh, Twitter celebrities and you see them working out there. You might not even think that someone will listen to you or do you have a space out there? It's too crowded out there. But the reality is only you can be you and only you can, can provide what you can do because everyone with the receipts has the cheat code that every school district needs or school or needs something, right? Cause anybody can Google anything, but as a consultant, your job is to provide the cheat code. So for those who be listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Simplecast, Stitcher, Spotify, and Audible, will you please introduce yourself, Losha? Yes. First of all, I would like to thank you, Dr. Will, for allowing me on your platform. Shout out to everyone that is listening to the Mobile University <laughs> for Entrepreneurs. I am so happy to be here. I am Losha Brooks. I am the founder and CEO of First Class Educator and the School Consultant Accelerator Program. And I am just so thrilled to be here to share this space with you, uh, to come to everyone and just give you a little more information about educational consulting, the benefits, the ins and outs, how I got in. I am just so excited to bring that to you all here. So shout out to all of the listeners, uh, whatever day it may be. I hope it's a great one. And if it's not, you can turn it around. <laughs> all right. All right. So I'm always curious as to how people got to where they are. What did you think you'd be doing when you were growing up and how did you find yourself in education? OK, so <laughs> when I was younger, I thought that I was going to be a professional athlete. OK, I thought I was going to be a professional swimmer. That's all I used to dream about. I used to watch the Olympics and watch people swimming. And then I was like, uh, I don't know, girl. <laughs> and so as I um, as I started to, you know, move through uh, grade school and everything, I just decided I had a love for writing. And so I really and truly just wanted to be an author. I just wanted to write books. I just wanted to write short stories, poems, anything that had to do with writing. I was just so fascinated with it, creative writing. It was just my jam. And so um, even after graduating high school, when I enrolled in college, it was a straight English major. And so, uh, you know, I just knew I was going to retire on the beach uh, from being just a, you know, famous author. And I actually found out that um, we were expecting my first child in my first year of college. And I was like, oh, it's real. And so I um, I changed my major from straight English to education with a content area um, 
concentration on secondary English. So uh, high school English was my focus and certification area. So I did not go into education um, like with the, that, that wasn't my initial vision. It was kind of, um, you know, just aligned with my life, knowing that I needed to secure income because I did have a child on the way. And so it worked out. I like to talk. I like to read. And so I figured, you know, we could kill two birds at one stone and be an English teacher. And so that's, that's how it worked out. So wanted to be an Olympic swimmer, <laughs> quickly saw that wasn't going to be the thing, um, you know, author, and then just found my way as an English educator. So that that's the, the gist of it. <laughs> right. So some of, you know, I did not set out to do this work, right? Someone approached me at a conference and I did not know what to tell that person. So I reached out to a friend who had been doing this for years and he gave me some short game on, okay, have a baseline of what you're going to charge, ask about this, be prepared to do that sort of thing. And then I started to go, okay, now nothing happened from that conversation at that conference, but then at another conference, that's when someone approached me again and say, hey, is this what you do? And I was like, uh, yeah. And I still didn't have an idea of what I was doing, right? This per, you know, they came to a session and I said, well, is this a job interview? And they were like, well, yeah. And then I did my thing. And then afterwards they said, we'll get in, we'll get in touch. And I just, you know, we talked and they said, submit a proposal and an invoice. And I did that. And when I showed up that day and it was a, you know, it was a really good, it was a good day, about two and a half drive uh, from where I, from where I live. And I remember it was awesome. I'm just, I'm saying to myself, I, I'm just doing what I did at work. Right. So it wasn't, so it wasn't a big deal for me to kind of do this thing. And I didn't really uh, prepare for it the same, you know, because it was like, oh, I, you want me to do Google? I do Google at work. All right, cool. But when I got that first check, I said, oh, yeah, there's something here. <laughs> right. So when people are in the are starting to really think about this and I didn't even think of myself as a business or creating a business at the time because I just got approached. I did it. And it wasn't until I got that first check and I said, oh, I need to be doing something with this. How does someone know that they're ready to start a business and what is the mindset needed for an educator to actually create a profitable education consultant okay so first you know you're ready when you have more to offer than your current position right and then if it's not sustaining your lifestyle that you desire and so i'll i'll go back so when i made the transition from classroom teacher to consultant i knew fairly early in those first few years of teaching that I was not going to retire from the classroom. It wasn't going to happen for me. You know, um, I my generation is slightly different in the sense that I don't think that, you know, we can we can see retirement, you know, maybe career changes and things like that. I love education, so I don't see myself ever departing from the industry. And so when I saw just the different things that was happening within the education industry, the consultants that were coming in and training us and 
you know, sharing information that was not relevant. Whereas I had teachers that had doctor's degrees coming to me when I only had a bachelor's like, Miss Brooks, you know, I see you doing this with your students and your, your parents are engaged. And, you know, they asking me questions. I'm like, this person make two times my salary. We didn't just had some people come in on a training. They didn't share none of the information I'm sharing with them. You know, they, they getting paid six figures to come in asking us if we want to leave early. I knew fairly early on that consultant was going to be the best route for me. And even though I toyed with the idea of administration moving up the ranks, I just knew that I, I value my lifestyle. So just forward thinking, I gave myself a hard pause of 10 years in the education industry to start my school consulting business. And I knew, you know, the closer I got to 10 years, it was like, it just started weighing on me more and more. When you see the politics in schools, when, you know, I had a, a transition from Missouri to Texas in which, you know, I accepted an English position, even though the desire was for an admin position as I was approaching that 10th year. I was like, I want to secure at least a principal position before I go full-time with consulting. Well, it didn't happen that way. And upon me accepting the English position, you know, I made sure it was okay to bring in outside literature for the students. And a week before school started, the principal informed me, hey, you know, just so you know, all of the English teachers, we just going to use this one particular book by a very well-known publisher. Uh, every school district probably has them. Um, this is the only book you guys can use, no outside books. I said, so... My English class, we we cannot read novels is what you're saying. Yeah, we only going to teach from this book. So once those politics start weighing in heavy, there's no way that I can teach an English class. I can facilitate an English class without us reading novels. And I'm not talking about just one novel, several novels throughout the year, several throughout the quarter. And so when I'm having to sneak in literature for my students, I knew it was time for me to go ahead and make that critical pivot, but it was in an alignment with my game plan at 10 years. So you know that it is time when you have more to offer the industry and when politics are just not aligning with your true calling. There was no way that I could do my job with, with confidence and fidelity, knowing that, you know, it was going against the grain of, you know, what the administration wanted to see and what I knew needed to be done. It was time for me to go ahead and make that pivot. And then too, as far as, you know, the lifestyle and the income, we know how much teachers make. Okay. And even having a, a master's degree and thinking about, you know, going ahead and get my doctor's degree. I'm thinking about how does that translate to my debt to income? You know what I'm saying? As far as having a debt of student loans and things like that, as well as my time commitment to these things versus me going into an organization, making, I'm talking about so much impact within an organization, getting that big check, okay, and being able to still live my lifestyle. That's how I knew it was time once I started making those assessments. And, uh, you know, I just, I went out to a conference and similar to yourself, I just, you know, just kind of walked in that confidence of knowing that I am adding value to any organization that I step foot in. The people that are associated with my team, they bring so much value. And so they gave me the confidence to put those numbers that I needed to put on those papers to make the reality, you know, come true um, in that sense. And just the value that we add into organizations is just like none other. So, you know, it's time when... You know, you just faced with some hard decisions of what needs to be done and within the position that you are in facing those limitations, then you just need to step outside and, and, and reach for your higher calling. Hmm. You are the founder and CEO of First Class Educator. Take me back when you were starting to develop your company. 
what moves were you making with your programs, your systems and understanding of your ideal client? Yeah. So what I, when I started to work on my consulting firm, I really noticed that there was a large disconnect between staff and students simply based on culture. So I wanted to be of service in that aspect. And I also, you know, took myself back to when I was a student. I attended a, a school in St. Louis, Missouri, that was, uh, they had a desegregation program. And so upon all of the minority students that were being bused in, we were placed in remedial courses. We had classes that put us in the basement, you know, when we were, we were in high school, because those teachers did not know how to work with these students who had a different cultural background. And I knew it was not that these teachers were all racist or, you know, things like that. It was truly that they did not know how to work with, you know, us as uh, learners, you know, with different cultural backgrounds. And so even being an educator, I noticed that with some of my colleagues, it was just a large disconnect. They're driving 45 minutes to an hour and a half to work to come and work with these particular students and not truly knowing how to build a relationship. So as I was developing my consulting firm, I had the idea that I wanted to be of service to educators with learning how to unpack any type of hidden biases that they may have towards their students, um, teaching them how to build relationships, how to integrate culturally responsive material to optimize student engagement. I just start thinking about what would help teachers right now right now, not, you know, years later, months later, right now to be a better service to their students. And I had the idea in mind that we were going to focus, focus on the diversity, equity, and inclusion space. So as I was cultivating um, my programs and really thinking about that, I just started picking up pieces from different trainings that I was attending. I immersed myself just in learning uh, on a whole nother level. And really when I attended conferences, I implore other educators to do this right now in your current position, there are opportunities for you to go out and be a learner. Okay. And so I found conferences that align with just my professional uh, goals as an educator to just seek more knowledge. And I just start adding it to the list of services that I wanted to provide as a consultant. And so again, just speaking to that, organizations that you currently work for have professional development funds. Go ask for them, okay? Take yourself to a conference and just sit at the feet of people who are experts in that content area. And that's what I did. I soaked up the information. I added that to my toolkit of services that I wanted to offer. Um, so <clears throat> that that's what I did. I, I recognized the need and I wanted to feel that need in the industry with the services that I provide. Mm -hmm. So given, <clears throat> excuse me, given where we are in this uh, country with a lot of the uh, racial strife uh, that is going on and there was a huge movement uh, with a lot of school districts banning uh, CRT, which we know CRT is not taught in the K through K 12 through level. 12. Come on now. Uh, as, as Talk well, to him, Dr. Will. As well as, you know, banning uh, books or other uh, resources that some would say they don't want white children to feel. Um, bad about themselves, but history is history. Uh, and, you know, Flora just recently, the 
uh, when the college board created uh, an AP African American history program, uh, DeSantis just said, we're not going to be offering that because that goes against our woke legislation. Given all of those things that have been going on, how has that impacted the work that you do? So thank you. That's a great question. Um, first of all, you know, making sure that people understand what critical race theory is and that it is not something that, that is taught, like you said, in K-12 organizations. So, yes, we have gotten pushback, but really making sure that we inform our um, audience of of what it is that we are coming in with as far as content um, and our purpose. If an organization has a resolution on racism, okay, and you're saying that you're committed to do this work, and, you know, then people within the organization, they it, you expose themselves with pushback, you know, then it's really, are you really trying to do this work or are you just showing face? We're having a document that's saying that, you know, this is the work that, that you suggest to be done. Are you really doing the work? And so, yes, we do get pushback, but at the same time, I think we garner a lot of support when people know that we are genuine when we come in. We never go inside an organization and we just black, black, black with a black agenda. You know, we approach it from an assets base. So not that this is what you're doing wrong with the black students. This is what you need to do. We never go in like that. We truly approach it from, you know, looking at what is it that they're currently doing within their programs, within their organization? What initiatives have they set out? We truly highlight that and build off of their strengths and help them with their weaknesses. So I think for us, it's truly important, number one, the assets-based approach, building the relationships and showing them that we have a genuine interest in their growth as educators and assisting them on their path to just being better educators. And so it's just truly important to approach it that way so that when you do get the pushback, we can show, hey, this is how we come in. This is how we come in. This is how we build relationships. And my organization, my team internally is very diverse. Uh, so I have people from all walks of life that are on my staff uh, and our, our mission is to enhance this space with a culturally rich approach. Um, and again, that assets base is just something that, that we truly believe in. So we come in and see what they are already doing uh, and highlight that and let them know that we are here to support them and not to condemn them or belittle them, that we are truly there to be of support to them. Mm. And in doing that, how do you navigate some of the naysayers, right? And I want to give an example. I was in a poetry class uh, doing an undergraduate degree I was undertaking at the University of Southern Mississippi. We had a list of poets that she gave that we needed to choose from, memorize, you know, parts of their work and uh, present it to class. And I'm looking at the list and I asked her, why are all these poets white? And I had classmates look at me like I was crazy. And some made some comments that I can't remember because it was so long ago, but I'm just sitting in there thinking white people ain't the only people that have written anything worthy of studying 
And when you leave off other poets, now I'm black, so I won't read some black some black poets, but she didn't, you know, they're Asian poets and Latino poets, et cetera. You know, I, I'm like, they just weren't there. And when you are, let's say, at a school and you're talking to them and maybe you suggest uh, when you're talking about culturally responsive uh, teaching that in looking at standard whatever and standard whatever says that you need to be able to read and analyze and then you look at the reading passages they that they have that maybe you say, hey, you can choose a passage from a writer writer of color to not only meet that standard, but again, be more inclusive in how you are reaching your students. Mm -hmm. Some may say, well, why do I need to do that? Because we have, quote unquote, this canon, we have this curriculum that we've always used. How do you work with people to get them to broaden their views and have a greater understanding of why including those works are beneficial and will indeed enhance the learning experiences, not only of their students of color, but of all students? Yes, very good question. I really like that because this is the thing, Dr. Will, you have uh, a lot of teachers who have received a Eurocentric education. So they have themselves never been exposed to minority writers. And so one of the things that we do, we expose them to different types of databases that allows them to see that you don't have to choose just one of these authors that is typically known as a classical writer to relate to your students, but we offer them additional resources. So that's one of the things that we are very big on. So we don't just say, hey, you should include minority writers. We give them a list. We give them access. We show them, you know, data and statistics about student engagement when they do have culturally rich material that they can refer to. So it's one thing to say this is something that you should be doing, but we actually help them along on their walk with providing them resources, which is a critical piece of the, the, the puzzle, right? It's easy to condemn some people for not doing something, but at the same time, we have to show them because they may not know. They may not know uh Lorraine Hansberry they may not know August Wilson they may not know some of these uh writers I remember when I start teaching um high school English I start bringing in African-American literature and the way I even approach my class we use most of the material that I use were African-American writers and a lot of the teachers, you know, they were still using Of Mice and Men, The Great Gatsby. They're using all of these different pieces of literature that are considered uh, classical pieces of writing, bodies of work, because they didn't know anything else. I'm bringing in a piano lesson. I'm bringing in the seven guitars. I'm bringing in uh, a raisin in the sun. And my students are truly engaged. The teacher's walking by and they asking, hey, Miss Brooks, do you think I can sit in on your class? Because, I mean, you literally had 100% student participation because I'm bringing in material that my students can see themselves in. And then my teachers in my building, they seeing that these students who were coded tier three, you know, lower level readers, lower level at second semester, they testing out of my class 
just simply based on the culturally rich material that I'm bringing in. So when we're doing these trainings, we offer resources that the teachers can go and refer to so they can start integrating that content into their classroom. And that's a very big piece. So again, you know, it's easy to condemn someone for not doing something, not using material, but we also have to understand they have never been exposed to some of this material before that can be beneficial to their students. So we provide those resources and databases for them. It's mm, all right. Yeah, that's all right. So when an educator is starting to put these things together, like in, in the business world, they have something called an MVP, uh, most viable product. So you want to get to that and put it out there so that you can see, is there a marketplace for it? Uh, will it work? And then iterate and refine it from there as opposed to you maybe saying, I know what I can do, even though you need to start with your receipts because you don't want to be doing something that you ain't got no experience with. But just to be throwing something out there because you may be, quote unquote, passionate about it, don't mean that people are going to pay you for it. Uh, so what goes into developing an MVP and, and what do your students learn in your accelerator? Thank you for asking that, Dr. Will. So with our school consultant accelerator program, one of the things that I let um, the people know who's coming into the community is making sure that you understand what the market is looking for. So I've already kind of front loaded our program with a lot of services that organizations are looking for. And so it's, it's very important to make sure that even though, like you said, we may have a passion for something that we're packaging it and tailoring it towards the organization's needs. So I love data. I, I'm a nerd. You know, I spend my time looking at board meetings and things like that. But I want to understand what organizations truly need to assist them in moving forward. So even attending conferences to be next to the decision makers, to hear the conversations about what their organization needs. So looking at those strategic plans and organizations. So again, even though, you know, we may be passionate about social emotional learning. Well, what is an organization doing in their organization to see these initiatives out? Do they have embedded in their five-year strategic plan that all of the teachers will receive a trauma-informed certification? If that is true, if you are someone who can administer a social-emotional learning program, making sure that you are um, accredited by the Youth Mental Health Agency to administer that program and give them a trauma-informed certification. In our uh, scope of work, as far as diversity, equity, and inclusion, making sure that an organization is committed to their work. If you don't have the support from the administration, it's going to be very challenging to see the work out. Meaning, if we go to an organization and we propose that we come in with establishing equitable practices or some type of DEI training, we want to make sure that we have the support of the building administrator as well as the district admin. And so we like to go in and work with leadership first. So you have to be very systemic in the approach. You don't want to just go in and say, hey, we're going to work with your teachers on this. Because what if the building administrator is not on board with it? So we make sure that we have that support from the top down. Go in and make sure that you are, like you said, very data-driven. So we do pre-assessments and gather that research from a third party. So it's not just we gathering on our, our Google Docs forms and surveys. We actually consult with a data research 
researcher to make sure that we have an instrument in place to collect data before we go into an organization and at the end of that year-long engagement with that organization so that we can actually show the Board of Education and the community the transformation that has taken place. Because it's one thing, again, to be very passionate about it, but we are grounded, heavily grounded in data research and making sure that there are systems in place to ensure that we have the support of the organization that we're working with. So I implore everybody to make sure that you thoroughly understand that organization's needs and the type of support that they will be providing when you go in uh, to, to work with that organization is very important. Mm. So in that, what are some of the misconceptions educators have about educational consulting? Because I know a lot of our first experiences are us being in the district and the district bringing in outside people and you're sitting there and sometimes you're there and uh, you're like, this has absolutely nothing to do with me. And I've been on the other side because I my job is PD in the district and I'm delivering PD. And I've had someone, you know, who's a coach. He teaches, P who te you know, they teach PE, they teach coach. And they'll say, why am I here? And I'm like, OK, well, let me show you how you can use what I'm doing right now with what you're doing. And he'll, oh, OK, I got it. All right. Thank you. And then later on, he'll go, oh, you know what? I'm glad I came to you because I'm using this, you know, with my ball players. But that's some of our first experiences, you know, at school. You, you get in there and get this PD. And sometimes it's just like someone's just shooting all over the place. And you might not feel like it's targeted to you or specific to you or even relevant to you. And that's sort of our first experiences with that. And what are some of the benefits, right? So when we're looking at the misconceptions, what are also the benefits to becoming an educational consultant? Okay, first, so I'm going to answer the misconceptions. So some of the misconceptions with educational consultants that I hear frequently is like, you know, I really love teaching. I don't want to quit my job. You do not have to quit your job, okay? <laughs> you, If you love it, if you still have a passion, you want to be a classroom teacher in the central office, whatever capacity you currently serve, that is something that you can still do. But one of the things that I always share is that if you have more and desire more, once you start consulting, you might get to that point where you decide this is something that you're going to transition into full time and then you can strategically plan your exit. But the misconception is that you just have to stop altogether what you are currently doing. And that is truly a misconception. The other thing, what, what you spoke to, you know, people going in and doing a PD and then some people saying, how is this relevant to me? The way that I train my clients when we go in, we're not trying to do a one off. Right. So it's already understood when we are tailoring our services. Number one, we have built that relationship with the, the district leadership team as well as the building leadership so that we are crafting our services around their actual needs. And we are tailoring it in a way where we're not just doing a one off. We're doing five to 10 sessions throughout that school year. So it makes sense systemically for those teachers to know what it is that we're doing and what the objectives are day one when we come in, setting up those norms, going over the expectations of what they're going to be learning, what they'll be getting and how they can utilize that in the classroom. Um, so I think that's very important to make sure I'm really not interested in doing a one-off. We want to make sure that we're able to collect data to show the transformation that is occurring in the district. So that is very important. Mm. That's, all, that's all right. That one-off, you know, it's interesting because that one-off can can still be can still be profitable, but the problem with the one-off 
is you're not going to get that uh, transformation. Yeah. You know, that one office is going to be like, okay, I'm going to touch you on this, hit you up right quick and, and, and roll out. So you're not going to have that time, as you mentioned, to really work with people through a transformation, through a process uh, of doing it. And often, even if it's good money, that one off is not going to pay you as well as being able to implement a program over, over weeks or, or, or over months. Mm-hmm. Um, when someone is trying to do this, cause you know, this comes to mind when I work with educators in my own district and I bring up, well, you know, how you could use this to develop this type of, uh, instructional videos for your students and then you know sometimes i'll say hey well you know go get you know uh, get an ipad and they don't want to buy an ipad right they're like i'm doing this for the district the district should provide me with whatever and i'm not in nobody's pocket so i don't question anybody but one of the reasons you know i talk to educators about buying their own stuff is you're getting better for you you hope the outcome is your students get better, but this is about you first. And number two, anything you create on a district device, they own. So create, you know, buy your own stuff so you can start to begin to invest in yourself. And I and I bring it up to ask you when people are talking about becoming a consultant, how can they finance this venture, right? What goes into the initial financial investments that they need to make or should expect to make? So um, one of the largest investments is just going to be in yourself, okay? You definitely have to go out. I implore everyone to make sure that you understand the nature of the job, the content that you want to be uh, known for in your niche. So going to conferences, that's going to be your first type of investment. Again, we talked about offset net costs by having your current job pay for you to go to those outside professional developments. Now, when we're talking about setting up the business, of course, the logistics of getting your LLC, getting your EIN, those particular logistics, those are expected costs. And so I would say, you will probably need to uh, be prepared to invest a minimum of $2,500 into the, just having the legal portion of the business set up. Now, as far as um, brochures, uh, tablecloths, business cards, things of that nature, that can come, you know, along with it, you know, once you get prepared to set up at conferences and things like that. But the initial part going ahead and get your LLC, getting a business plan created, those things, you know, $2,500. But it is free, Dr. Will. It is free to go online to look at school districts purchasing departments and submit a proposal, okay? So I don't want people to be deterred by $2,500 to set up your business. You know, don't be deterred, okay? Go and look at the different opportunities that are available so you can even feel confident in knowing there are organizations that are looking for you to come in. But once you get that LLC established, you want to get a bank account, get a business bank account so that you can start developing business credit. That is one of the things that I implore people to do. Get that LLC set up, get you a business bank account. Put you $200 a month in there so you can start just developing business credit 
so that you can get you a credit card. So then that can offset the cost of getting your materials made. I don't want people to be deterred from knowing that there are expenses that are going to be occurred. But the other thing too, and if you don't mind, Dr. Will, me sharing about the SCA program, I put every single thing that you are going to need in a complete program that is the blueprint of showing you what you will need to do to be successful as a school consultant. And so with my program, I don't want nobody pulling out their 401k, pulling out their retirement account. And so we offer financing. And with that, that allows people the opportunity, number one, to get the course that we have, to hop in, you get the contract templates. That is one of the things that is going to assist you on your journey because it's one thing to go and see the opportunities, but then to even create or submit a proposal, having that template is going to be so beneficial. And in my, my program, in my school consulting accelerator, I give them a template that is a multi-six-figure award-winning contract that I wrote myself. They already have the template that they can go in there, manipulate that document and make it their own so that they can then move forward with submitting proposals. The only way you're going to win contracts is by submitting them. It costs you nothing again to go to a school district's website, take whatever school district, not the one you work in. They're not going to pay you. You are like Dr. Will already said, if you create something on that laptop, they didn't gave you it's theirs. Okay. If you do a PD session, and your PLC, your professional learning community, they think that you're doing it out of the kindness of your heart, okay? So look for a local school district or one in the neighboring state. Google their name and purchasing department, and you will see it's called RFPs, the request for proposals they have published for you to come in with your services, all right? And then you're going to create a proposal to send to them to get inside of their school. That costs nothing. But when you're talking about the startup cost of the actual business, the legal business, considering that you want your LLC, your EIN, and I, I said $2,500, but it, it don't cost that much. Go to the Secretary of State, file your necessary paperwork and things, get your business bank account, start building that business credit so that you can use that business credit card to start buying the things that you need, your different assets, your backdrops getting a logo created, all of that stuff, paying for conference registrations, things like that. But it costs nothing to go to a district's website to see the opportunities that are available. Mm, you, ooh, y'all don't wanna know. I just want to talk that talk. I want them to know. Ooh, y'all don't know. Okay, we need to unpack some stuff here. Okay. Uh, because y'all, okay, ooh, y'all don't know. Okay. Now, you, you when you talked about you mentioned the LLC and there's yes, different sir. ways to incorporate your business. Now I know mm -hmm. one cat who has an escort and when, when he and I were sort of going, having a discussion about why did you choose an, an escort? He was like, well, if you make a certain amount of income, that's what you'll want. And when he said that, I'm like, dude got to be off, you know, super high six, seven figures to be going this route, like what? I, I again, I ain't in his pockets. I ain't asking what's going on. But when I started to do a little research, I said, "Oh, okay, okay, he must be on this level." Um, why would someone choose an LLC? All right. So uh, thank you for that question again, Dr. Will. This is the other thing that I do inside of the program. I let people know, of course, there are different structures. 
for your business, okay? You want to go to LLC, S Corp, C Corp, and I implore them to do the research. I implore them to talk to their tax professional to see what would be best. I have my clients go the direction of an LLC because I want to prepare them for once you start experiencing that, that phenomenal growth, I want them to go ahead and get a trust. And then I want their trust to actually own their business. It is easier to put your LLC inside of a trust versus the S Corp or a C Corp. And they can do the research and talk to their tax provider. But this is again, assisting with that foundational building of what is going to give them longevity, the most tax benefits and you know legacy building for their family and how they see their business. So that is my reasoning and telling people to go that route. But again, I implore everybody, everybody listening, talk to a tax professional. I am not a tax professional. Okay. I've just done tons of research. I like to consider the people that I consult with the best. Okay. And so as far as structure wise, if you're thinking in terms of, you know, making sure that your business is prepared for optimal growth, it is easier to put that LLC inside of a trust than it is with an S Corp or a C Corp. Mm. And she, when she say professional, she ain't talking about H&R Block. Oh, oh no. Oh no. Oh no. Oh no. Oh no. Oh no. The the best of the best. Top 1% in that industry, in the financial industry. I'm only going to deal with, when you tap in with me, I am only referring you to top tier people, period. Now they come with a premium. If you want to go to them other folks, H&R Blocks, I'm not, hey, I'm giving you, I'm providing you with the best tools and resources so that you can be on your way. Okay. I say no H&R Block because they can hire anybody. Anybody. To come in, go through a prep class, and file and do your taxes. I say go to a CPA. That's who I go to because they know the tax code. Yes. All right. So and they've been trained. CPA. All right. Because they got to take a test. They do internship under someone, all that good stuff. These people know what they know what they're doing. Now, another thing you brought up, because again, we got to unpack this people. So many gems in what she said earlier. She talked about you know the IRFP process as well as getting an EIN number, right? So EIN ain't your social security number. Right? It ain't your social right, security right. number. Right? And and you could open up another checking account with your social and say, okay, I'm going to use this for my business. But again, it ain't a, a account using your EIN number. So for those who do not know what an EIN number is, what is it and what's the purpose of having it? Okay, so your EIN number is basically, it, it's like a social security number for your business, okay? And so what it does it separates yourself and your from your business. So when you um, open up a bank account using your EIN, that is in specific to that particular business. And you can then start building business credit. You can get things on credit in your business name that will not impact your personal credit. And so I just implore people to start building that business credit so that, you know, when you do need to attend a conference or get certain things, you know, made for your business that is not attached to your personal credit. You're building that business credit so that you can then get other things on business lines of credit for your particular business that separates you, your personal credit, 
from your business. So that is the reason why you definitely want to make sure that you apply and get that. It's called an employer identification number. And again, it's to separate yourself from your business as separate entities. Now, within that first year, especially if it's an LLC structure, you're going to carry that uh that business tax liability onto your personal tax. But again, talk to a business, I'm sorry, an accountant, mm -hmm. tax professional, so they can assist you in that process. Mm -hmm. <laughs> love it, love it. All right, all right. All right, now, I want to touch on what you talked about. You just mentioned business credit. And there is something called DUNS, people. DUNS, which it will give you credit. Talking about business credit. Business credit, because you talked about how you need to separate that from your personal, your social security that goes to you as an individual. Why would they, why should it, because I know you mentioned that you need, because you, you're talking about now, a lot of what you've been talking about, and which which is really awesome, and I hope people are really hearing this, is creating a business structure, a financial structure, in which you are building a wall between you, Mary Johnson, versus Mary Johnson's school creativity workshops, or whatever you name your business. If you will go look, give a little, little more, expound a little more on why people should, from a credit perspective, build that wall, and so that they don't mix the two. Number one, you are you're going to incur business expenses. That's just the bottom line. And so you want, and you may have multiple businesses. And the reason why you want to establish that business uh, credit side, and you mentioned the Duns. The difference between the EIN and the DUNS, the EIN you have to have for your business as far as uh, a tax standpoint. The DUNS, if you want to get any type of federal grants or any type of federal funding, you have to be registered with the DUNS so they can see like uh, your credit score. It's just like a reporting agency. The DUNS does that for your business. And so once you register with them, they'll be able to say, oh, you know, we looked at their DUNS numbers and they, they have this great credit history with their business. So they'll offer you more lines or you'll get those federal grants and things of that nature. But the reason why you want to establish that credit, that business credit is so that it can afford you more opportunities to do things that if you have your mortgage, you got a car loan, you have all of these other lines of credit in your personal that may prevent you from doing things to grow your business. So you want to separate the two so that you can experience optimal growth on either side. So that's why you really want to separate the two. Mm. People, mm -mm. Mm -mm. I ain't waiting on releasing this episode. When we are done with this episode, I'm releasing this episode today. You Y'all don't understand the gems, right? The nuggets that are being dropped today because a lot of us out here we doing this stuff, but we owning a second job. And what Losha has been talking about is you building a business and all of that, that entails and going on with that. So you need to truly, truly understand what is being dropped today. I just want I just wanted to give him a little something, Dr. Will. I know I know we was going to go deep into it. I just wanted to give him a little something. 
Oh, my uh, God. But again, I want to implore everybody, make sure that you talk to a tax professional. I am not a tax professional. I love all things business. Right. So that is from my level of understanding. Um, I, but talk to a tax professional so that you make sure that you do the right thing within your business. And when you are really talking about scaling up and getting to that next level, that's when you're talking about the trust funds. That's when you're talking about your, the LLC being owned by the trust fund and placing it inside all of those different vehicles that are going to help you. Even, you know, I'm just being honest, the retirement accounts for teachers, then you're going to start looking at those a little different. Okay, if your retirement account is only making 1%, you might need to look into some high debt benefit insurance policies to where you can start borrowing your cash value for other investments, things like this. It's a whole nother ball game once you really tap into being an entrepreneur, monetizing your skill set, and then really setting up your own system for financial success versus depending on uh, a peer's retirement account system and things like that to carry you into you know the later part of your life. You can set up your own system and experience phenomenal growth. But again, that's when tapping in with a mentor, tapping in with somebody who has some knowledge in this versus going to YouTube University. Because you can YouTube everything, but really tapping in with someone who can provide you some guidance, okay? And so another thing for educators, sometimes, you know, we'd rather go back and pay for a degree and have that debt hanging over our head versus paying a mentor or paying for a program. We have to train our minds to think differently. I spend a lot of money on just professional growth from people who don't have degrees, okay? Who don't have those doctorate degrees simply because I want to make sure that I'm getting top tier information from those people who are seven and eight figure earners. Because we know teachers that teach finance classes all day that don't have it together, okay? We know those people we didn't work with all right. I'm not now I'm not talking about nobody specific, but I'm saying we know people that are teaching those entrepreneurship classes that don't have no type of business. OK, so invest in people who are where you want to be. Uh, and that that is something that I submit and implore educators to do when you want to tap into that next level. Don't be afraid to make that personal investment. Mm -hmm. <laughs> boy, yo. Yes, boy. yes sir you said because you, you know i'm i'm gonna go off on a little tangent but you went there financial literacy is the twin to what we are talking about because mm -hmm. it mm -hmm. serves you nothing to have a great five-figure year or a six-figure year and you ain't got no money at the end because you blew it, right? Because you out here going, well, you know what? I'm about to do all this Cabo and some red bottoms and and um, look at this uh, Tesla I got in my yard. You got to understand that. And I talk about financial literacy on the show but it's really important because there are people out here who are making high six figures, who are making seven figures, eight figures, and they still broke, still living paycheck to paycheck because they do not know how to manage their money. Mm -hmm. So understanding once the money is coming in, how to be a good steward of that money mm -hmm. and, and have that money work for you is something that you need to learn as well. Right. So I want to jump into 
the live webinar you have, because one of the things that I talk about on the show is that everyone has to create some sort of free content that can not only help you build your brand, but puts you in the space to gain potential customers where you can build that know, like, and trust factor. You have a live webinar, My School Consultant Accelerator. Uh, how did that come about? And, you know, what are people going to learn doing that doing that accelerator right and 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 why did you choose to do that because again from a business perspective you're you're hitting all the high points that if you're going to run a business you need to run a business and not every educator who becomes a consultant actually runs a business so holler at me right right quick okay so the, the webinar is schoolconsultingaccelerator.com for anybody that's interested in learning more about school consulting. And that's all together, schoolconsultingaccelerator.com. What I did, I had so many educators that were like, Losha, I see you really running a mile with the school consultant. Like, how did you do it? You know, and I was like, you know what? I don't want people to feel like they have to come work for first class educator to get the knowledge and information. I want other educators to be empowered that you can go out there, secure these contracts as well. And so I went the route of creating a webinar because I wanted to provide value to the space that people can go to at any time. So you can register in the middle of the night, catch the replay from the previous day or sign up for one that'll be happening later on in the day. And I wanted people to just get so much value, whether they tapped into my program or not, I want them to know that they can be successful. So in the webinar, I go through how I started from the ground up, being a full-time teacher, securing contracts that double my income as a full-time teacher, showing them how I staffed my organization. And actually, Dr. Will, in the first three minutes, I showed them how to structure a 100K deal with 72 hours of consulting, okay? I want them to know that they this is serious. You can actually win out here. How many hours do we work in a week as an educator? 40 on paper, then they, they coaching, then they providing tutoring, they there in the morning, they there in the evening. So you already done worked the 70-something hour week. I'm showing you how to make 100K with 72 hours of consulting in the first three minutes of the video. But the other part of that too is I want people to know if you got a skill set, share the information. It's going to do nothing but bring you so much in return by sharing information. And that's what I do. If you go to my Instagram, Losha Power Moves, I share, share, share. I try to go live every day. I share, share, share because I know it's going to come back to me in one form or another. There'll be a superintendent or a district leader that say, hey, this lady put out all this, this information. If we bring it her paid services, I wonder what that's going to hit like, okay? And then anybody that's interested in school consulting, if I'm giving you all of that information in a one-hour webinar for free, when you tap in with me, you can only imagine what you're going to learn with my paid services once you pay to tap in with me. So that's the benefit of putting out information. You'll be known as the authority in the industry for what the information is that you're putting out there. So a lot of people are very scared to use social media. They're like, oh, you know, I just post my dog. I, I just post my family. Yeah, that's fine. People see me and my kids in Bali. 
in Singapore. They see me with my grandma at doctor's appointments. They see that I have all of this free time, but then they see, oh my God, her staff, they leading a the whole training at, uh, you know, this university or they on campus here or she walking through this school here. Yeah, I, I have my free time. I have the time where I work. I had a time where I exercised and I showed it on social media so I can show people you can live the life that you want to live while also making an impact in the education industry by being a content area expert. And so I like to utilize my social media platforms. I'm not no Twitter star or influencer. I'm not real active on Twitter yet. All right. But use your social media. You're going to catch me on Instagram every single day. Facebook all the time and just put out that information because people are going to come to you as a leader or authority in the industry for that particular niche and want to bring you into their um, their organization or just sit at your feet and learn from you. Mm. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And, and I love how you mentioned where you are, but people just need to find a platform that works best for them yeah. and allows them to reach their audience and build their brand. So for some, it may be Twitter for some, it may be Instagram for some, I don't like Instagram because I'm not that uh, picture oriented. Number one. And number two, that's just two. There's some pictures on Instagram that I don't need to be seeing. So I am just not <laughs> on that platform like that. Um, so I, I think I even deactivated my account. I'm like, ooh, this is showing up in my feet. Ooh, girl. Uh-oh. Okay, I can't see that. So uh, I stick around to Twitter a lot, and I'm trying to because I know a homie who's on LinkedIn is to start using that more because I know LinkedIn is where the money is in terms of people who got them big checks going. So I need to start working that. Uh, I, I want to... And you talking about this, I, I want you to kind of come back around and tap into something you mentioned earlier about teachers making that investment, because some teachers, and I don't know what, what your accelerator, you know, the, the, the cost of it, you know, you, you can share it if you want to, uh, but some teachers may hear this, they, they see your accelerator, and let's say your accelerator is $2,500, I don't know, but they may go, ooh. Ooh, 25. I don't, I don't know about that 25. Mm -hmm. They get a little scared because, you know, one, we know what we make. So $2,500 is not a small price for the average mm -hmm. educator. What do you say to those educators who, when you're talking about investing in yourself and they're looking at your, you're looking at your accelerator, why in terms of the mindset, why they should embrace the need to invest in themselves, to better themselves, to get the knowledge to, as you mentioned earlier, to live the lifestyle, to live the life that they want to live on their own, their own terms and not be uh, scared. And I don't know if scared is the right word. But 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 not feel like they can't make that investment because they don't know the return. They don't know what's on the other end, but they do know that twenty five hundred dollars or whatever is coming out their pocket right now. So to that to that educator, I will submit to you this money is a frequency. 
And if you operate out of a frequency of lack, you will experience more lack. I walk in full confidence in everything that I do. And I suggest everyone do the same, right? And even in terms of money, if I spend money, I am happy to spend money because I know the energy that I am putting on that money is going to come back to me in such an amazing way. And so even when people are ready to tap in with me, I let them know, hey, listen, this is an investment. And I will go so far as to say, Dr. Will, it's more than 2,500 if they're going to tap in with me. If I'm giving you my multi-six-figure, my half-a-million-dollar contract templates, oh, yeah, you're going to have to tap all the way in. But this is the thing. I also offer financing because I never want anybody to have to say that they didn't broke the bank and, you know, they couldn't feed their kids for a week. I never want that. So I have options. We do 100% financing. We have several finance companies that we work with, which gives them 36, 24, 12-month terms. But the thing that I submit to educators is, again, you are going to have to make some type of investment in yourself. The way we believe in these degrees, okay, that we still owe money for, that they still playing around that they going to waive it or not waive it. Some people didn't got it waived. Some people is on pause. You are investing in yourself to have your own multi-six-figure, seven-figure business that is going to leave legacy for not only you, but for generations to come. It's worth the investment in yourself so that you can ensure your own future and not leave that up to anybody else. I just mentioned my retirement account was making 1%. I took the penalty to take my money out and put it in another vehicle because that's what best served me. Now for other people, as far as investing in yourself, the knowledge that I've invested in is paying me tenfold because I knew that it was the only thing that was going to take me to the next level. I could not go to a college or university and learn the business principles that I have learned from other people who are where I desire to be. There was an investment that I would have to make if I wanted to get that top tier information. And so just knowing and understanding it is a mindset shift that has to occur with knowing that if I put this out, I am going to receive it back in. But also understanding that, yes, you want to make sure that your personal credit is tapped in so that you don't have to exhaust your cash. I don't want anybody exhausting their personal cash utilize and leverage your credit. So if that means getting your credit fixed up and cleaned up to make some investments that's going to benefit you, that is something that you need to do. Now with our program, again, as I mentioned, we do offer 100% financing. I want people to watch the webinar first. I want them to watch the webinar at schoolconsultingaccelerator.com so you can see the free information that I'm giving you. Whether or not you tap in with me, you can be successful. We're speeding up that success by light years. OK, at the end of it, you'll see how much it costs to join the program. All right. And I'm telling you, it is truly worth the time to watch the webinar because, number one, you get in free information. You can run the mile, run the template with that. And then you'll see how much it costs. It's a small investment for our community. You get 100 percent finance. And we have several people that finance for us. And of course, 36, 24, 12 month terms, depending on the terms that you choose. The interest rate will be a little different, but money is a frequency. It's, it's, it's a spiritual thing. All of that combined. I tell people when you join our program, I don't want iffy money. I want you to be walking in full confidence of what you have to offer the industry. We going to be okay. First class educator is going to be fine regardless, but this is for other people. I'm building up the capacity for other people because number one, as I mentioned before at the very beginning, as I teach people to secure district-wide contracts, and as I secure statewide contracts, I'm going to tap in with my community first 
so that they can know that, hey, listen, you tapped in with me. I see you got five, 10 consultants on your staff. I want a subcontract with you because you invested in me. And now they had this grand opportunity to, to consult on a higher level than what they even anticipated with those district contracts. Now we're taking on statewide contracts. We really seeing the education reform. We really being able to live our best life by just walking in our calling, our calling as master educators and content area experts. So invest in yourself. It is going to actually be investing in your future and putting you where you need to be. Mm. <laughs> I'm looking around, see if I got something to sip right now, because Lord, Lord. Wait, boy, I'm telling you, this is coming out today. Uh, before we go, what are your final must-haves or must-dos for an educator who is thinking about becoming an entrepreneur? Must-haves and must-dos. You must have a mentor. You, mu you must have a mentor. Don't walk the journey alone. Find someone to tap in with, whether it's Dr. Will, whether it's myself, find a mentor that you can learn from, glean from the information, glean from the experiences that they have uh, been through and tap in with them. A mentor is a must have. It's a must have. And the willingness to, to be open to information. I share with people my age all the time. I'm 34. And to some people that's old, to some people that's young, okay? Regardless of the fact, be open to learning from people who are not your age, who are not, um, you know, from the community that you are from, but just knowing that they are where you desire to be, tap in with a mentor. Mm. That's all right. That is all yes, right. Sir. People, ooh, you, I'm excited about this one, all right? Now, you know how I do this. This podcast episode is going to be an Apple podcast, Google podcast, iHeartRadio, Simplecast, Stitcher, Spotify, and Audible. I need you to subscribe and share with your network. And though I'm on all major podcast platforms, I'm trying to grow on Apple podcast. So I need you to subscribe. I need you to listen. I also need you to drop me some stars and some reviews because your boys trying to be found and I'm trying to get Oprah on the show, not 100 know that we're doing big things around here. Again, I'd like to thank my guest, Losha Brooks, for coming on and dropping gem after gem after gem. And for you for checking out another episode of the Dr. Will Show, the mobile university for entrepreneurs, which is now in season nine. As always, people, invest in you. EDU, peace. <laughs>